Hello and welcome to the Digital Digest, your weekly telecoms and data center podcast brought to you by the teams at Capacity and Data Economy. I'm your host, Deputy Editor Melanie Mingus, and joining me this week, we have Editor-at-Large Alan Berke-Gray and Senior Reporters Abigail Lapia and Natalie Bannerman. Over the course of this episode, we are going to be talking about the biggest stories from the last week. Um, but first of all, a whistle-stop roundup of the latest happenings. Um, this week in the data centre space, we have heard that OI's asset sale has begun with Piermont Holdings spending 70 million US dollars on five data centres. Advanced Micro Devices has unveiled a new data centre chip to help its HPC, cloud and enterprise customers. And Ant Group has a new CEO after Simon Hughes stepped down. Meanwhile, at Amazon, the CTO has said that data centre workers deserve credit for keeping the lights on during the pandemic. Meanwhile, in telecoms, Liquid Telecom has become Liquid Intelligent Technologies to reflect its wider business focus. And Rakuten has received a $2.2 billion funding boost. Over at Nokia, um, a new partnership with Google Cloud, AWS, and Microsoft has been announced for a series of new projects to advance the 5G portfolio, and we'll be coming back to much more Nokia news later on in the episode. Um, also in telecoms, Samsung has delayed the launch of its new Galaxy Notes due to the global chip shortage. Um, an American tower, along with Infinera, has demoed point-to-multipoint optical transmission in Latin America. Um, and then finally, on the spectrum front this week in South Africa, the regulator ICAS's auction has been deemed, and I quote, unlawful and irrational. Um, meanwhile, in Bulgaria, a legal challenge there has forced the regulator to plan a new auction for next month. And in the UK, the country's postponed 5G auction finally got underway at the end of last week, raising £1.3 billion for Her Majesty's Treasury. And there'll be more from Ofcom later in this episode. It's also just over a week since the Power 100 opened, and we have been overwhelmed with the initial response. Um, The Power 100 is now in its third year, and so far, at the time of recording, it's nine days since we opened nominations, and we have had the strongest response of any of the previous years, Um, which is great news, especially um, when everybody's been having such a tough year due to lockdowns um, and all the interruptions to business and just our ability to meet people and do deals. Um, But guys, you've all been working on the Power 100 for a lot longer than I have. Um, Why don't you give, give us a bit more details about what it's about and why it's there. Um, there's a, there used to be a magazine called Global Telecoms Business that merged into Capacity about three or four years ago. And Global Telecoms Business started, oh, back in the 90s, I think it must have been. And to mark its 100th issue in 2006, 7, 8, something like that, we thought, let's do, let's commemorate it by doing the 100, a list of the 100 most significant people in the telecoms industry. And it went from lawyers to regulators to technology people to CEOs and so on. Um, And a few politicians, I think. So that's how it started. It ran every year and then it moved into capacity, uh, obviously taking on capacity's uh, base portfolio to focus on the wholesale market. Um, But Natalie, you know more about in the last few years. Yeah, so I mean, for those who don't know, I I, I joined Capacity back in in, um, 2017. And since we kind of took over the Power 100 in in 2019, it really has kind of um, changed in a very short span of time. basically in line with the market. I think when we took it over from MGTV for the first time, we included, you know, uh, content players and OTTs, as well as people like, uh, you know, telco blockchain players, you know, those in the SD-WAN and, and software networking 
um, players and, and really rightly so because um, you know I don't think there's conversations that exist without these industry disruptors you know as part of the dialogue anymore um, so um, it really is open to you know not just the kind of traditional carriers but those who kind of are uh, innovating and, and disrupting in the kind of wider telecom space um, I think you know, and also it's also a great opportunity as well. You know, I think it's certainly something that we've kind of taken up over the last few year, few years is to, you know, shine a light as well on the influential women in the space. I think um, pretty early on it was more heavily male dominated than it is now. You know, it still obviously kind of uh, leans in that direction. Um, but, you know, despite the fact that men make up the majority of, of the kind of influential people in our space, you know, women who are also powerful and influential also do exist. And, you know, we try our best to get as much of a healthy balance in, in our listings in general. Um, so it really is a, a great opportunity for everyone to get involved. You know, some of the names that we've had before, are, you know, Mark Halfinger, um, the Funkeo Pecky, you know, Bevan Slatery, to name a few. Um, and I always find it interesting to see those who have kind of moved on from their roles and are kind of in either either left the industry or in different parts of the industry. Um, but yeah, it, it it's a great, it's a it's a it's a great, it's a great listing, usually very, very hugely popular. And I always describe it to people as our our equivalent of like a Forbes list, you know, who are the movers and shakers. So I say it's very competitive. It's a good indication, as Natalie says, where the industry is uh, and how it's changing, how its makeup is changing. And certainly in the early days, back in the GTV days, and I won't keep on with that, it was so male, it was really very uncomfortable. But uh, I think one year we had only about six women in the hundred, which was sadly reflected reality. But um, fortunately, better than that these days. Mm. The industry has moved on. Yeah, it's great that we can um, that we can have that reflected in the list as well. Um, and obviously this year um, we're going to be covering data centres as well. Um, so Abigail, are there any kind of top names that you'd like to see in there or any companies that you're really urging to, um, to nominate? I think um, definitely the big players like um, Equinix and Digital Realty will definitely be in the list because they are dominating the space. Um, it would be nice to see people from Cyrus One as well, because they're doing quite a lot in the European um, region. And um, yeah, it should just be quite interesting to see, um, like uh, Natalie said, like some of the people that that we've had in lists previously before, just seeing what they're doing now, see if there's any um, more. And people that are in the industry that have uh, created their own kind of um, uh, uh, businesses like uh, Bill Barney that um, Alan spoke about last week on last week's episode. So it'll be nice to see how the list um, involves and includes data centre space, people in data centre space as well. Exactly, yeah. And we've had so many people changing jobs this year and launching their own companies. Like it very, it really is a very different industry to what it was 12 months ago, which I think is, this year's list will really reflect. Yeah, and I just to carry on from from that, you know, Abigail, I'm kind of with you, you know, I think sometimes when people think to nominate, you know, because obviously nominations are open, everyone get involved. But when people think to nominate, I think sometimes the go to uh, response is, oh, let's just put our CEO forward. You know, sometimes there's other people in, you know, various parts of the business that we don't know about doing some amazing work be great to shine a light on them, too. You know, just because they're not necessarily at the very, very top does not make them not, you know, yeah. It doesn't mean they're not influential, doesn't mean they don't hold power, doesn't mean they're not changing the conversation. Do you know what I mean? So it'd be great to see some different names in there too. I agree. Absolutely. And I remember certainly uh, in, in past years, we sometimes got a company's head of PR would say, this is 
XYZ's nomination for the Power 100, as though they had gone through all their executives and decided on one. Well, that's. But on the other hand, some other companies did the other opposite. And I remember one company who's fairly famous, but I won't say who they are, um, nominated something like 25 people, which uh, I think was <laughs> a bit over the top, really. Uh, were they saying that their staff were 25% of the most powerful people? Obviously, they weren't. And I think we whittled that down to about two rather than all 25. But it's so I think, you know, multiple nominations from one company are perfectly reasonable and they don't all have to come from the top or the head of communications or something like that you know nominate your boss or nominate one of your staff indeed anybody who's driving significant change we want to hear about them um thanks guys so the nominations for the power 100 are open till the 9th of april um there are details sorry on how to nominate for that in the links that brought you to this podcast so any questions do reach out um but onto the data center roundup first of all for this week's um for this week's podcast and over to you abigail tell us what's been happening Yep, this week has been a very busy week in terms of data centres. Um, Hawaii-based data centre operator DR Fortress is expanding its data centre campus in Honolulu. The company said the facility um, is complete and ready for service with 125 additional cabinets, creating a total of 600 cabinets for lease and a space of 55,000 square feet which is quite big for um, Hawaii. This is DR Fortress's third expansion so far. The company also mentioned that the expansion will accommodate up to 18 kilowatts in a single cabinet for its customers to deploy more equipment in a smaller footprint. DR Fortress's data center has been located in an ideal location for its Hawaii, um, Hawaii customers, um, for them to be able to form um, connectivity to existing carriers with a cross connection and the facility is located outside of flood zones and extended tsunami areas. The company recently added Cloud Connect which is Hawaii's only on-ramp service to public clouds and, and an additional new services um, are planned for later this year. Now moving on to IBM, they announced um, this week, actually today, that they are opening their first IBM Cloud multi-zone region in Latin America. The multi-zone region is a result of the company's investment in cloud infrastructure for hybrid cloud adoption and to help foster business growth in Latin America. Following the openings of Toronto and Osaka last year, the company's latest multi-zone region in Brazil marks IBM's commitment to help clients across the globe to carry out tasks like deploying mission-critical workloads while helping to address data sovereignty um, requirements. IBM Cloud multi-zone region um, is made up of three or more data center zones that is um, that are independent of each other. The company said that this is designed so that a single failure event can affect only a single data center zone rather than all the zones, which is for consistent cloud service and greater resilience. Um, Brazilian companies are increasingly turning to IBM Cloud, that's what they say, for their security capabilities and industry knowledge. Um, up next is Cisco, and this week they broke ground on their new data center in Frankfurt, Germany. The facility was launched to serve Cisco customers using its collaboration platform WebEx in the European Union 
and the and the Europe, Middle East, Africa and Russian region as well. The facility is scheduled for operation by the end of June 2021, but the company did not mention the financial details of the data centre. But despite the country's high average third party data centre pricing, Germany is still near the top in terms of new data centre developments in the pipeline. The company pointed out that the shift to remote working combined with um, the need to keep distributed teams connected has increased the demand for cloud-based collaboration platforms. Since the beginning of the pandemic, the use of digital collaboration tools such as Cisco WebEx has increased by 74%. Lastly, Digital Realty has completed the sale of a portfolio of 11 data centres in Europe to Ascendas REIT. The deal will be the REIT's first data centre investment in Europe as it takes over four facilities in the UK, three in the Netherlands, three in France and one data centre in Switzerland. The consideration of the four data centres in the UK was around £250 million um, and the consideration of the seven data centres on the rest of the continent was around €276 million and the total sale was priced at $678 million. The company said the portfolio is expected to generate um, 2021 net operating income of approximately $43.5 million. Post-transaction, 60% of Ascenda's REIT's investment properties are in Singapore, 14% um, in the US, another 14% in Australia and 12% in the UK and Europe. Digital Realty um, said the process um, the proceeds, sorry, for the transactions will initially be used to pay down debt and will ultimately be used to fund future investments. This is indeed a wider conversation um, as over the past years data centres have been bought and sold at an increasing rate. There has um, there are several reasons why data centres have be, um, have had a number of sales. Um, the most common being companies want to get out of owning data centres that may be expensive um, in terms of um, capex or opex investment. And if cloud is a good alternative, then it makes sense to sell the data centre. I know, Melanie, you covered OI's Brazilian data centre sale this week too. Yeah, exactly. And I was going to say, like, there are so many data centres changing hands at the moment. And obviously, then we had the um, stories from Alan last week as well about buying up all the orphan data centres. Um, and yeah, I mean, all the trends that you mentioned there, they do, obviously, you know, it's a no brainer that this is happening. But also, like you've reported in the last few days as well, that data centre revenues are on track to reach 948 billion US dollars by 2030. So I guess that's another driving trend as well. Um, and like this kind of period of flux that we're seeing reflected across everything in the industry right now, I feel as though everything kind of up in the air but it will settle potentially in a very very different way over the next couple of years yeah definitely the demand for um you know having more capacity is definitely driving um the need for data centers. and i feel like a lot of companies have realized that oh actually we're going to need more space because we're going to have more uh, clients and therefore buying and selling data centers it'll be quite interesting to see how um companies decide whether they want to sell or not and whether they think that they have enough portfolio to actually give some up and i know there are a lot of empty data centers that banks no longer um, are using so it'll be nice to see more data center companies buying um those already kind of built data centers and trying to make them into something that will be used in future definitely yeah and if they can do it with a sustainability angle we will be even happier about it <laughs> i agree thanks so much abigail and um, that was a great roundup lots of stuff going on in the data sense 
data center space. Um, and now we're going to go over to Natalie for the telecoms debrief. What's happening with you, Natalie? Thanks, Melanie. Um, so yeah, um, lots of things going on. Um, so the first one, Confluence Networks is a new Florida-based developer of subsea cable systems. Everybody knows I love subsea stories. Um, they have actually confirmed that Mastech, which is an infrastructure engineering and construction company, has acquired an equity interest in the company for an undisclosed sum. Now, Confluence Networks will be using that investment to complete the development and construction of its Confluence One subsea cable. Now, the soon-to-be-built subsea system is touted as the first dedicated to connecting global communications hubs on the east coast of the US and will interconnect many international uh, cable routes within the Americas, um, as well as between the Americas, Europe, Africa and Asia. So once live, Confluence One will deliver uh, 24 fibre pairs, offering uh, 500 terabytes per second of capacity along its route. It's also worth noting that Confluence Network is being led by uh, it's CEO Paul Scott. Uh, for those in the industry, they will know he is the former president of C&W Networks, uh, a role that he stepped down from um, in about, I think it was 2018-2019. Uh, so um, great to see him back to doing what he does best. Um, you know, Paul is very well versed on um, subsea cable systems and infrastructure um, kind of in the LATAM region. So we'll, we'll see what his experience brings to this new project. Now, in less positive news, Nokia has announced that it it is to reset their cost base bases and invest in R&D uh, with the loss of about 10,000 jobs across its uh, business groups. In a statement, the company said that it is focusing on the development of future capabilities such as 5G cloud and digital infrastructure, um, as well as the restructuring of its business. Um, specifically, it will, it will reduce its workforce of 90,000 to approximately um, 80 to 85,000 over the uh, next 18 to 24 months. Now, the exact number is subject to change contingent on the market developments. Um, but in a quote, Pekka Lundmark, who is Nokia's CEO and president, said that his priority is to ensure that everybody impacted is supported through this process. No specific details on how that support will be given, but it's great to know that he has that in mind. Now, as part of this restructuring, Nokia expects to make um, 600 million euros in cost cuts by 2023. And and this will offset the company's increased spend on R&D and new technologies. Um, at the same time, it will also streamline its portfolio by reducing uh, investment in mature or decline, declining parts of the portfolio. Now, what was interesting about this announcement is they didn't actually point to COVID-19, which obviously seems to be the source of um, most um, company kind of downsizing or, or restructuring. Um, I'm, I'm not entirely sure if, if it has played a part. Um, it will be interesting to see if they do mention that in any future announcements. Um, but either way, um, a, a sad time, but we hope that, you know, the company comes back um, better and stronger. Now, big news for the Canadian telco market, Rogers Communications is to, to acquire all offshore communications class A and B shares for about uh, $26 billion. The deal prices Shaw's shares at approximately uh, $40.50 per share, which is actually a premium for uh, share, uh, Shaw's shareholders, which is great news for them, of course. Um, and the $26 billion uh, price tag will include about $6 billion of Shaw's debts. So the soon-to-be combined entity will create um, loads of benefits, you know, by bringing together these two family founded Canadian companies, which I wasn't aware of. Um, but synergies are expected to exceed about one billion an annually um, within the first two years of the deal. Um, and the Shaw family will also become one of the largest shareholders in Rogers. 
At the time of the announcement, it was confirmed that the company will also invest about $2.5 billion in 5G networks over the next five years across Western uh, Canada, creating about 3,000 jobs. Uh, additionally, it will uh, establish a $1 billion Rogers Rural and Indigenous Connectivity Fund, which will connect uh, rural, remote and Indigenous communities across Western Canada um, and, and giving them access to high-speed internet. Uh, subject to, um, you know, customary closing conditions, it's due to close in the first half of 2022. Uh, so congratulations to both companies. Uh, I believe the news will actually leave Canada with uh, three very big telco groups, B, BCE, Rogers slash Shaw um, and TELUS. Um, there will, of course, be some smaller players in the market, of course, but they will be the top three. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that um, how the, that development will influence uh, competition in the market. Um, we'll see as that evolves. Now, over in Australia, another huge infrastructure project was announced this week. Fibre Express Limited um, unveiled plans for Coyote, which is the 1.5 billion technology digital hub in Western Australia and the Northern Territory. It's comprised of a 10,000 kilometer subsea cable and three tier four data centers, um, providing data and uh, internet connectivity between Perth and Darwin. Um, they will, it will also have additional onward connectivity to international business hubs in Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, and Japan. Uh, so the unnamed um, subsea cable will have about 16 fiber pairs um, and will of course be carrier neutral um which i think is you know i think only ott's these days do do, do private cables so hi, hardly surprising um but connectivity to the to the aforementioned, um, aforementioned uh, three data centers in perth darwin and dampier uh, en route it will also connect to about seven cable landing stations between perth and darwin uh, as for the data centers themselves they will be built uh, to tier four uptime institute standards um and will have you know high levels of security and efficiency with an initial build capacity of about 20 megawatts each uh, the project will be funded by approximately 650 million in senior debt and a further 850 million in equity, both of which are in progress and open for investors. So for any, any of our listeners in the finance world, uh, it's probably one to keep an eye on. The news actually comes, you know, as we previously reported, uh, the data grid project, which is being uh, developed by Hawaii Cable founder Remy Galasio and uh, Core Plus co-founder um, Malcolm Dick. That project is actually comprised um, similarly of a 500 million um, hyperscale data center, uh, as well as two new subsea cables. So really, however you look at it, the Asia kind of Pacific Oceania region is, is garnering a lot of attention and we expect to see big things to come from there over the next few years. But that's it from me. Definitely expect some big things after those project announcements. Um, the Fiber Express um, project Coty sounds absolutely fascinating. How's it going to kind of fit in with the existing infrastructure in Australia? Do you know? I actually don't know. I'll be honest with you. Australia seems to be one of those regions where we don't tend to hear as many kind of uh, kind of um, stories coming from, which is what I'm finding really interesting about these two new projects within the space of like a month. These big hyperscale projects are going to uh, going to be there. From what I understand, there's a lot of opportunity to develop, you know, the kind of subsea and data center um, infrastructure there. And, you know, it's it really is, if you think about it, an ideal place because you also have a lot of renewable energy. So if you think about it, the conditions are perfect. But in terms of the existing infrastructure, I know very little 
little, to be honest. It's something I, I'm definitely going to dig into. Interesting. Um, well, thank you for that roundup, Natalie. A lot of stuff going on in telecoms and some interesting um, developments there. On the Nokia story as well, it was interesting you said that we don't quite know if this is something that predates COVID because of their plans for 5G and kind of like costing that and covering it, or if this is something that's kind of like a knee-jerk reaction to um, to recent economic events. Yeah, I mean, they, they're kind of being tight-lipped. Everything that they've said about it seems to be, well, we, we're refocusing and, we, you know, we're doubling down on kind of like the 5G and the cloud and the data infrastructure. But of course, I think we, we have to be a bit silly not to not to question whether or not COVID has played a part because, you know, th there are many kind of telcos in the space who seem to be doing something similar. You know, last week we spoke about um, Telecom Italia doing, um, having, you know, announcing redundancies in the space as well. Um, so you never know, it might be, it might be a little bit of both they may just be taking taking the opportunity to restructure as some companies are doing as well and kind of you know uh saving costs where they need to but i i found it in, i found it interesting that it was nokia which is a vendor which seems to be doing so particularly well you know as of late in terms of all the kind of you know infrastructure developments that's going on i would have thought that they would have you know been in the best position to kind of keep things as as it were if that makes any sense do you know what I mean because they've just done so well and there's such high demand they've also just got a new CEO Pekka Lundmark as you mentioned he's only been there what less than a year now and every new CEO looks at their territory and says how can we economize how can we um, streamline things um, Rajiv Suri who was the previous CEO spent his first few years slicing bits off Nokia and losing employees uh, and then a few other divisions from other companies came up for sale. So it expanded again as he acquired, as the company acquired these new businesses from uh, a number of other operators, uh, another of other vendors in the business. And I think probably went a little bit too far. And now it's going back again. It's, you know, it's what CEOs do. They spend their first couple of years um, economizing and then they think, oh, we can it's time to expand. Yeah. I'd be very surprised though if Nokia does any kind of acquisitions. I'm not too sure where they would where they would go if that makes any sense. Do you know what I mean? It would have to be another vendor, wouldn't they? And most of the yeah. other vendors are quite large. Yeah, it was last time with uh, Rajiv Suri. It was uh, acquiring bits from companies that had uh, fallen over and were being sold off in in slices. I think, um, and this was after they'd consolidated into the. Uh, into the mobile market and then started going back into the fixed market. So I suspect, you know, they're taking a really fresh look. And the, and the whole of the the whole of industry, uh, you know, as Nokia was created out of Alcatel and Lucent and Siemens and a whole bunch of other companies that have got together into one umbrella over the 10, 12 years or so. Um, there's a, probably a lot of duplication in there, but uh, somebody coming in it with a fresh eye is, is going to identify. So, yeah, um, good luck to people in Nokia, really. Uh, must be a nervous time. Indeed, yeah, and lots, lots of changes on the horizon there, no doubt. Um, yeah, but I mean, like you both said, we hear these project announcements from Nokia all the time. They don't sound like they're stuck for money. So I don't know. I guess we'll see how this one plays out. Um, but moving on to another topic that has been quite big in the headlines this week, um, and that's fibre rollouts. We've heard earlier today that Italy is assessing whether its single fibre network is feasible, um, while in the UK, Ofcom sorry, has made some announcements on its approach to the wholesale industry. Um, now, Alan, this is one that you've covered. It was quite an extensive announcement this morning from the UK. Um, tell us what's been going on. 
Yes, thanks, Melanie. This was a, a regular, uh, regularly forecast or expected uh, announcement from Ofcom. They do a, a review about every five years of where they're going in the wholesale market. Um, and few, this is really, the, the UK market is, is really structured strangely in that there's BT uh, has a division called Openreach that de delivers the last mile, whether it be copper or fiber, into premises and homes. There are a lot of independent companies, uh, companies from Verizon Business to Vodafone, for example, that will build their own fiber into business premises. And then there's another raft of companies like uh, Vodafone, TalkTalk Talk and Sky that will use open-reach fiber or copper to get into residential customers. And then there's Virgin Media that has a rival uh, fiber and coaxial network to get to customers, mainly residential customers. And there are also a few other newcomers, City Fiber, for example, that are building completely fresh fiber to the premises networks. So it's a very mixed network. Um, most of them don't do wholesale. Openreach is one of the few that does wholesale. Um, and th therefore, it was carved out of BT a decade or more ago, um, and which is why every five years, Ofcom looks at how the market is going. The idea is Openreach has to give every retail operator in the UK equal access, and it's been separated out from BT, although some people will quibble about how accurately that's been done, how completely it's been done. And so they have different billing systems, different relationships with their customers. Um, URI as an ordinary customer of BT or whoever it might be, can't phone OpenReach and say, can you do, do this as a problem with the copper outside my house? We have to go to our retail provider and they then contact OpenReach. So it's a sort of arm's length relationship. So, um, this was really Ofcom's look at how the market should progress from now, in fact, from June this year, sorry, from April this year, from only a few weeks' time, uh, right through till five years' time. So it's one of the things that it was looking at was the um, rural coverage. And one of the oddities in there didn't seem to cover the satellites. Now, the report that came out on Thursday morning has seven volumes and 26 annexes. So there's a lot to wade through and I'm sure everyone in the industry in the UK will be doing that. Um, but he didn't mention SpaceX's Starlink, for example, which is already selling broadband in parts of the UK. And it didn't mention OneWeb, which is the company that's owned by the UK government and uh, Airtel, Bahati Airtel. Um, and that's going to be in action from October. Um, so, I'm not sure why they left those out. Um, they would, uh, except, of course, it covered the wholesale market, which is fibre and copper. Big news is they really want to run down the copper market, the copper infrastructure. Um, but the strange news that I thought is when, when many companies are consolidating their fibre networks in the UK, uh, Italy, for example, um, you know, the, Ofcom wants to go what I think is a, almost full Margaret Thatcher and welcoming open competition with separate infrastructure. It says this morning, Thursday morning, that 70% of premises will have a choice of fibre to the premises, which means I could go to OpenReach and get, or rather go to one of the companies that uses OpenReach, or I might also go to City Fibre or to Virgin Media, uh, which seems very strange. Virgin Media still has a 
20 or 30 year old network mostly and it's upgrading it to it says it will have one gigabit per second to uh, millions of houses across the UK by the end of 2021 which is surprising um, it, this is completely counter to what is happening in Italy where we've seen a steady set of mergers between uh, flash fiber and fiber uh, fast web uh, to create FiberCop, and then it looks like FiberCop will merge with Open Fiber, so there will be a universal Italian infrastructure company. Um, very odd. Um, but the idea is that uh, OpenReach wants to retire its copper network as fast as possible. It wants to cover 20 million premises by what it vaguely says is the mid to late 2020s. So not quite 2026, but maybe a bit later, it's giving itself some wiggle room there but fiber to the premises across 20 million premises in the UK. And there are something like 27 million premises in the UK. So that's a good chunk of them. Um, City Fiber wants to cover 8 million premises and Virgin Media wants to cover 17 million premises. So there's going to be a lot of overlap. There are a lot of places where you literally will be able to choose one from the other. There are other companies as well, like Community Fiber, uh, which is building fiber networks in, the UK, in London particularly. Uh, I don't know where they are. Uh, we asked them and they hadn't really worked it out yet, so which is a bit surprising um, as everyone in the industry seemed to know what was coming. But anyway, yeah, um, Virgin seems to be doing really well. They say 7 million homes can already re uh, receive 1.1 gigabit a second uh, and the whole network will get that faster speed by the end of the year. So. Um, it looks like everyone in the industry seemed to welcome it. OpenReach did, BT did, they all said it's good news. Virgin Media did, uh, City Fiber did, um, and the Ofcom chief executive, Melanie Dawes, she said, uh, she said millions of homes are still using copper lines that were first laid over 100 years ago, uh, probably longer than that in some cases, um, and it, she really wants to take it all out and replace it with fiber, uh, which is great. Uh, and the fiber, of course, once it's there, will certainly last a century. I mean, fibre doesn't short circuit or rot or rust or oxidise like copper does. So um, BT looks as though it's going to spend 12 billion pounds on fibre to the premises. So, and is really quite happy about today's announcement and how much, uh, fair, how much return on the investment it will get. It says it's fair, so, which is good. And so if you get all the competitors saying it's good, it probably means it is good. Okay, Melanie. <laughs> Fingers crossed it is, yeah. Um, well, no surprise that BT is happy about this news. Their share price apparently reached a 13-month high on the morning of the 18th of March in reaction to the news. Um, so yeah, let's um, let's see how it's how it works out. But interesting news from Virgin as a kind of challenger to the um, to the incumbents there. Yes, um, uh, so, uh, Virgin's what... actually got a real job on its hand because most of it it came out of a whole lot of cable companies in the 70s and 80s most of which built coaxial cable networks at huge expense because they had to dig up the streets um, and now they're converting it to fiber but i think doing it very well so yeah people who are on virgin um i don't know what you're on melanie in greater manchester but certainly people i know on virgin in london seem to get very fast speeds 
Mm, well, we do actually have um, Virgin here um, in the area, but I live in a building that was kitted out with a company called Fourth Utility, which does five oh. to the premises, um, 70 each way, not a brag. That's not bad. Have, That's not bad. It's all right. Yeah, it does spoil you. Um, <laughs> but most of Manchester does have fiber to the um, premises, but it is actually quite frustrating when you find a house that doesn't have it because there is nothing like the black spots in Manchester are true black spots. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is something that's needed across the country. Um, but enough about that. Um, you've also been covered in a few other stories this week. Alan, tell us what else has been going on. Well, one of the interesting things is that there's suddenly a whole spate of announcements about quantum physics. Um, and yeah, hold on with me. Hold on a moment. I mean, this story goes back to 1924, which is a long time, even by my standards, when uh, Albert Einstein, whom you've probably heard, and Sachendra Nath Bose, uh, who was born in Kolkata uh, in India, um, they worked together um, and did some amazingly complex physics, which they called Bose-Einstein condensate. And I have vague memories of talking about or learning about that a long, long time ago when I was at university. Um, but they they said it's the fifth state of matter. Um, and according to some people, it offers untold riches uh, to the telecoms and data center industries. So this week, Dan Caruso, who people will remember from setting up Zeo many years ago, and then he was uh, CEO until 2020, when it was bought by uh, a couple of private equity companies for $14.3 billion. He announced that he's going to become executive chairman and interim CEO of a company that's exploiting quantum physics for both computing and networking. He's going to be uh, executive chairman of Cold Quanta, which has emerged from research at the University of Colorado at Boulder, uh, where the one of the team that set up this research team got a Nobel Prize. Um, Dan is also going to be interim CEO, but they're looking for a full-time CEO. Um, he said that Cold Quanta will contribute to a fundamental transformation from humankind's classical history to its quantum destiny. There's a grand statement for you. Um, a company's innovation in what he calls cold atom quantum technology will play a pivotal role in the most seismic revolution since the launch of the Internet. Again, some grand statements coming out of Dan. So uh, he's got a track record. Uh, but with the other person that um, is in the news is Josh Snowhorn that uh, Abigail will know well. Uh, he's a veteran of data center companies, including Cyrus One. He's announced a company called Quantum Loophole, and that will build a, a data center campus in uh, Northern Virginia. Uh, and what he's going to be doing is putting in a big network a fiber network that will then connect to all sorts of other networks around Northern Virginia. And of course, that's not far from Washington, D.C., and it's in the middle of data center land. Um, and he will be doing a mixture of offering facilities and offering plots that people can build on. And it's apparently it's land that's already scheduled for things like data center for industrial use. It will be taking away farmland um, and it will be open to uh, exploitation as a huge data center complex. So I'll be working through what Josh's plans are over the next few days, and we'll be doing an interview for the next issue of Capacity, as I will be with uh, Dan Caruso. So there's a lot going on in the whole quantum world. Um, 
And there was also a statement earlier today, this is Thursday, that uh, Tech UK, which is a UK government related body, is also encouraging quantum investments. Uh, seems to be the theory, the theme of March 2021 is quantum computing, uh, quantum communications. Uh, it's very fast. It's going to really change data centers and it's going to change communications. One of the things that will change is security because you will be able to send quanta down fibers, which will virtually uh, it be quantum key. We've talked about quantum key cryptography in the past. Again, incredibly complex. Uh, Albert Einstein called it spooky. Um, he was the guy that invented the whole idea. Um, but really, it will mean that no one theoretically will be able to crack your into uh, intercept your signal because if it, they do intercept it, if it's just some single quanta going down a fiber, you will know because you can't split a quanta, a quantum into two because it's either there or it's not. And if somebody's intercepted it, you won't be able to get it. Um, but it's also strange things called quantum entanglement, which is what Einstein called spooky. Um, and don't even I don't even want to think about it. It's a long time ago since I, I, I even had to write exams and things like that. So <laughs> let's leave it there. But I, it looks like we're on the verge of several years of really major change in the industry, thanks to quantum physics. Well, definitely a new topic for us all to get our heads around um, in light of those developments. Um, and I believe you just have one more story. Um, Mombasa, Kenya, for your last yes, story of the week. Yes, this is... Uh... Yes, this is a company called Afrix or AFR-IX, which is obviously an African um, internet exchange. Uh, it's already got Lagos and Cape Town and Djibouti as its uh, points of presence, as its IXPs, and it's just building one in Mombasa in Kenya, which is a great site because it's right on the coast of Kenya. It's where lots of cables come land from, from the Indian Ocean, um, and it looks like it's going to be well, certainly they're pitching it as a really big interchange. Uh, for example, the five cables already landing there. And as Natalie will know, two Africa is going to land there in 2023. And so is Africa one. Uh, so it's going to be a big focus of where cables land on the east coast of Africa. So Mombasa uh, on the coast will be Africa's latest uh, interchange. So it's working with a company called Asteroid Mombasa whom I haven't come across before, but uh, Louis Carver is uh, chief commercial officer. Uh, he used to be at PCCW Global, so lots of people around the industry will know him. He says their peering policy puts them at multiple and major internet exchanges in Europe, North America, and now in Africa. So Asteroid IX in Mombasa is part of their growing peering community uh, across Africa. So it's like Africa's, again, set for some good growth. Fingers crossed. Yep. Um, well, thanks so much, Alan, and thank you also to the rest of the team. And um, that brings us to the end of this week's podcast. Um, we will be back next week, and it's also International Data Centre Day on the 24th of March, um, which is exciting, so we'll be talking a little bit about that. Um, but before then, you can catch up with all the latest from across the telco and data centre industries over at capacitymedia.com. Um, while you're over there, you can sign up to the Daily Telecoms News Alerts from Capacity, as well as the weekly news alerts from Data Economy. Um, and also online, you'll find the February 
March issue of the magazine, which features interviews with Virgin Media Business, Digicel, Next Generation Data, and some excellent features in there as well. Um, and the website also has details of our events calendar for 2021, um, which is still going ahead. And on that note, March 23rd, we'll see the start of Capacity Middle East Reconnect, which is a nine-week series of discussions and insight ahead of the physical event, which is scheduled to take place in Dubai, live on the 18th and 19th of May. So exciting times um, for Capacity Middle East there. Um, and then in just under a month, uh, starting on the 13th of April, actually, Digital Infra Africa begins. Uh, that event is fully virtual online, and you can register for both of those via capacitymedia.com. For now, that's all from me and the team. Have a great week. Take care and catch you next time.